Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast, brought to you today by Planet Protector Packaging. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor of PKN Packaging News, and also the host of this show. Lindy, can you tell us about what's coming up with this episode? Well, Grant, we're taking a bit of a different turn today, and we're talking about the all-important matter for business of making money. Specifically, we're looking at the business-to-business supply chain, which we write for and service. And um, we have a new column in PKN. It's called The Bottom Line. And the writer of that column, Paul Allen, is going to be joining us today. Now, Paul is the principal of a company called Margin Partners. And he's also the author of a book called Take Back Your Margin. Now, Margin Partners helps business-to-business suppliers to protect and grow profit. So this is obviously a very um, important matter for anyone who's in business. And um, so pleased to have you here today, Paul. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, Lindy. Great to be here and looking forward to uh, having a discussion about some very topical issues. Well, we are very excited to be finding out what has changed this year for business-to-business suppliers. So 2021, what does it bring as we set about um, getting back to business after the COVID situation? Sure. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll jump into that and start by saying there has been a massive shift in the balance of power between suppliers and their customers, probably more than we've seen in many, many years. There's probably five key areas that have changed, but for those of you who are listening and, and, and your audience, many will be familiar with Michael Porter's Five Forces. Uh, That classic model talks about the bargaining power of suppliers, of buyers, the threat of substitutes, of new entrants, and indeed overall industry rivalry. And the big thing that's happened at the highest level is suddenly, post-COVID, there is more bargaining power for suppliers than ever before. Now, this has come in five key areas. Number one, this loss of buyer power, if you like, the swagger of the procurement function, has come about in a subtle way because there has been a real shift in a couple of parts, big one being government legislation. Suddenly now, with the Payment Times reporting scheme, we are seeing major customers be responsible for reporting the way they pay and practice their payment terms to smaller suppliers those people under $10 million of revenue. So, Paul, when you wrote about the uh, Payment Times reporting scheme for us in our first column of the bottom line, you likened it to a dating app. Can you um, extrapolate that analogy? Well, Lindy, you're taking me to a space that uh, I rarely go to and I'm sure you don't go there (laughs) yourself. But uh, when it comes to dating, in essence, what the government has tried to do is to create transparency around how big customers, so customers with revenue greater than 100 mil, are using that buying power on smaller suppliers with revenues under 10 mil. But what it's doing is saying, right, we want to see how you're paying those suppliers in terms of the amount of time it takes and any coercive behaviour around using things like supply chain finance. 
they're using those reporting metrics in a way that will provide transparency, not only for the suppliers to see how big customers behave, but also the general public. And what's interesting here is there's going to be reports uh, twice per annum that will be made public. So if you like, large consumer groups, um, and there are many of those and, and, and many organisations that write around or write about uh, behaviours of, of large customers, they will be able to critique, rank, use social media to comment on the behaviours of these large companies. So it's a dating app in the sense that we can see your behaviour Ideally, suppliers can choose customers and consumers can also choose who they buy from based on some of those behaviours if they choose to look at them. So all in all, a much uh, much more transparent uh, situation. So um, moving on from that then, what about import uncertainty? Yeah, so this is one of the other, if we go right back to the start, you know, we said there's four or five key influences on, on why there's been this shift Import uncertainty, um, you know, we often talk about the slow boat to China. Well, at the moment, there's a boat stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there, there is a lot of uncertainty at the moment around the world, around um, logistics, deployments, uh, freight, imports and exports. So the point is, if you're here in Australia today and you're relying on packaging supply or any other supply from overseas, you're going to have a higher degree of risk. And if you're the procurement people who need to get, say, those bottles for the filling team who are going to sell it to a supermarket, you're going to be a little worried about what's happening overseas and that doubt is going to force you to look elsewhere for local supply. So that's just one reason. When we talk about import uncertainty, the Suez Canal's blocked, but before that there's been disruption around the world in uh, ships being able to leave, staff being able to load, just that whole natural network we had has been destabilised somewhat. So we see procurement is um, losing some of its power. We're seeing this kind of import uncertainty, um, which is affecting both suppliers and, and procurement. We see this new payment times reporting scheme making things a lot more transparent. What about um, contract clauses? Yeah, well, this is the next big one, Lindy, uh, and this is something for companies of all sizes to be ready for because it will be legislated later this year. In a nutshell, it's building on what was in place for consumers who were being subject to unfair uh, terms of supply from, say, mobile phone companies or insurance companies, uh, and I don't mean to have a go at them, but there were examples of that. But what we're seeing now is that there's going to be, uh, largely driven by the Small Business Ombudsman and, uh, and also the Department of Trade, but changes in the contract terms, particularly those that are considered to be unfair or that give the supplier who's on the receiving end no chance to negotiate. Now, there's a, there's a lot of these things, for example, early termination clauses or just saying our payment terms are 150 days, take it or leave it. These clauses have traditionally made it very hard for suppliers because they're scared of losing the business um, and they're scared of tackling these clauses. Enough pressure has been brought to bear across Australia that the government is now going to say, we are going to take a stand on a lot of these clauses and create um, greater transparency and ability for suppliers to report where these things are in place 
that make it unfair uh, and unjust for, for suppliers of all sizes, really. So again, it's another form of transparency and it's a big boost for suppliers uh, and a big prompt to look at their contracts. What about continuity planning? Yeah, Lindy, look, this is the exciting one for Australian business and particularly your audience again. Um, it ties into the other ones, particularly around imports and that that sort of destabilisation of supply chains globally. But today, any major organisation, say a major or minor FMCG company, they're going to be looking at what's happened over the past couple of years and they're going to be saying, right, we need to button down our supply chains more than ever before. We need to have a local backup no matter what. And ideally, if we're in, say, Victoria, we need a Victorian backup because borders can be shut in countries, let alone country to countries. So suddenly there's risk around what I can get to ensure that my company can make its product to sell to a supermarket or elsewhere. So procurement functions are looking for suppliers to have business continuity plans, which means if they have to shut a factory in one state or in one location, there is backup available somewhere else to keep the wheels of industry industry turning. This is complex, this is challenging, this is in the favour of certainly Australian suppliers, but it's a clause and a line item that pretty much every B2B is going to be focusing on more and more because of the global risk and indeed the local risk of continuity of supply. Well, those are five important changes that we're seeing here for business-to-business suppliers. And how do you, how would you say businesses could use these changes for good? What Do you have any golden rules? Yeah, look, there's, there's three classic ones. Um, the headline around these rules is, or, or the reality or the day-to-day experience works like this. Right now, it's highly likely that a lot of suppliers have had and are having big customers and customers of all sizes probably, coming to them and saying, hey, we'd like to work with more with you. We'd like to think more strategically. Um, we'd like to give you more of our business. Now, this can sound terrific and will be music to the ears of most suppliers, but I encourage listeners not to be fooled by what's behind that in a way. And, and I'll tap into that now with the golden rules. Those rules are when someone comes knocking for more from you, which is generally good, it's vital that you know as a supplier your true and total cost to serve that customer. Now, if they come to you and want more, it may mean that you're going to have to scale up. You're going to have to have more distribution capability. You're going to have to have more business continuity. You need to know what's really behind the extra ask that's being made and what it's going to truly cost you to serve. So doing the numbers numbers on service is the vital first rule. The second area is how do you actually supply the customer who wants more on your terms, not theirs? And by this, I mean a customer may say, we want to give you more volume. um, And you may need to say, look, we want that volume, but we're going to need you to give us better forecasts because we're actually incurring a lot more demand given the things we've spoken about. The point is, how do you meet the customer's needs but do it in a way that allows you to meet the growing overall demand and manage your growing cost base. So there's a, there's a need for the supplier to put the shoulders back a little and take a little bit more assertiveness around how they can meet the customer's needs. 
So you've you've really trying to um, tier your services then to match their price expectations, but at the same time, there's a bit of teaching involved here, as I hear it, uh, teaching your customers how to treat you. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is back to the earlier comment around this shift that's taken place. And you know, we often talk about the procurement swagger. And, and a lot of your listeners, again, will have spoken about how hard it can be with certain customers and what they deal with. In this instance here, when we're seeing customers come and wanting more from local suppliers, it's really a case of saying, yes, we want to work collaboratively and work well together, but because of the increased demand and now a greater reliance on, on local supply, there's a real opportunity for suppliers to teach their customer, or should I say, explain how they can really work well together. And these are things like, look, as your local supplier, I want to help you, but you can't have clauses in your contract where you can suddenly cancel my supply in three weeks because suddenly imports are back on from China or somewhere else. It's like, it's, it's a chance for suppliers to say, look, please treat me with respect and please reward what I'm doing for you, uh, not sort of pull me in when you need me and toss me out when you don't. Uh, and again, I'm speaking very openly, but people will understand this. So it's just getting that balance and respect right. I can be a partner to you, um, but please don't treat me as a commodity provider because we're actually talking about a different game now. It's, it's a more reliant game. You're listening to the PKN Podcast by Yaffa Media. We'll be right back after this. Finally, there's an alternative to polystyrene that won't cost the earth. Planet Protector Packaging has developed a range of eco-friendly, sustainable solutions that are commercially viable and cost-effective for your business. Our industry-specific Woolpack range has been independently tested and proven to outperform alternative cold-chain packaging. Here's the kicker. Our solution can significantly reduce your overall packaging and transportation footprint, and it doesn't cost the planet. To find out more, head to planetprotectorpackaging.com. And now, let's get back to the discussion on the PKN podcast. I think this is a very important point, um, given that there's going to be a renewed focus on bringing manufacturing back on shore, that people are going to be making investments in making sure that they can supply their customers from a local source. And um, if they're making that investment, then you would expect then that the procurement people on the other side in the customer um, will not, you don't want to be dumped <laughs> quickly after your first date, so to speak, yeah. Um, anyway, let's let's perhaps play this out in a practical example. If you could walk us through an example of what every supplier should be doing this year, how can they take action? Well, as a guide, and, and this is a this is a general guide, but it's but it's a very tangible one. We would be saying to suppliers, take out the contract, actually pull it out, drop it on the desk. It's probably 100 pages, it might be 200, whatever. Uh, It's probably got cobwebs all over it and it's been stuck in a filing cabinet down in the basement level. But take out that contract and actually highlight any clause that has, and I've got a list of words, Lindy, so I can, if you want me to reel these off, I will. But there's a number of key clauses that you should be highlighting and then get ready to investigate. I I think it is important. Let's hear some of those words because people might not have thought of them. 
Okay, so you've got the contract, you've got a red marker, and you're looking for any clause heading that says the following. Number one, payment terms. Number two, supply chain finance. Force majeure, contract expiry. Just, I'm going to pause you there because some of these are, I'm going, okay, let's just, let's just clarify that. What would be the hidden problem with something like supply chain finance? Well, to the earlier discussion or some of the early points around uh, the Payment Times reporting scheme, supply chain, chain finance um, has been used at times to justify the uh, instigation of long payment terms like 120 days, 90 days, etc. Suppliers have been asked to accept those longer terms, but given the, if you like, the opportunity of getting their money earlier by paying a third party to access the funds that are due to them later on. Now, it can look like it's and it can look like an okay thing and it is legal, but the point is the idea of the payment times reporting scheme is that uh, major customers will report on the use of supply chain finance deliberately so because it's another way that suppliers margin gets eroded in a way that many would say is unfair. So this is one to tackle, and this is where there's legislative support around to spotlight companies that use this in a way that isn't really fair on the smaller organisations. That sounds good to me. So force majeure, I assume you're also implying something, perhaps if the word pandemic um, is included? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, we know that will have been reviewed dramatically and, and extensively over the past 12 months, but... You know, this clause, um, force of nature, um, unseen event, this clause is one that does need review, particularly based on where a supplier may get some of their inputs, but certainly in relation to the issue of pandemic and what that can mean to people being available to work, to supply. Um, it really has gone next level. So, so that's one many will have looked at, but around that, uh, there are other supply chain disruption events that can happen that well worth or well justify reviewing that clause at length. Okay, so that's about where you got up to in those, those were three words that we used, uh, payment terms or three words to look out for rather, payment terms, supply chain finance, force majeure, and then you were talking about contract expiry. Um, is this something that people sort of forget to remember? Oh, Lindy, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with clients and because the contract's in a filing cabinet with cobwebs, they've kind of forgotten when the expiry date is. And not only that, they may not have read the clause that has in it words like, if this contract is going to be renegotiated, not rolled over, uh, we need three months notice before that takes place. Um, there are clauses around contract expiry that you want to know given that right now there are things in your agreement you will want to tackle, and we just discussed one of those with force majeure, the worst thing that could happen is we, you find yourself rolling uh, into a new term once the current one has expired and there's a clause that says all the current conditions apply if we roll over. You want to know when a contract's going to expire and use that opportunity to address some of these things we're talking about. So, again, <laughs> get that red pen out and look at the detail under these headings. 
Yeah, well, that that also makes complete sense to me. So there are a couple of other clauses that you um, had intimated in our discussion before that uh, are important to look at. Can you run through those briefly? So with forecast accuracy, often suppliers don't put too much focus on this. Now, this means forecast accuracy means that a customer is going to tell them how much supply they need, when, and generally there's going to be a degree of accuracy around the number. Now, given local suppliers are having more demand and are scaling up and being asked for more, which sounds good, but as I said earlier, uh, may be a little misleading in terms of the true need, um, there's a chance for suppliers to say, yes, I want to supply you, but my terms are I need you to improve your degree of accuracy or to lock in minimum take or pay amounts or to just give more certainty and consistency to what the supply is being asked to do. This is a golden one, Lindy, and it's often not tackled, but it's about putting some of the onus back on the customer to behave in a way that allows a supplier to protect their interests and balance growing demand. So it's a key one. So what about termination of contracts? Sometimes that uh, comes by surprise. It's an early termination. Is that something to look out for? Yeah, now this is a this is a key clause that is going to be dealt with more when it comes to the unfair contract terms and clauses I spoke of early. There are far too many contracts in Australia with B2B customers, particularly in manufacturing, packaging, uh, industrial and consumer, where standard form contracts have these beautifully written clauses that just say, we are free to terminate this agreement with three weeks notice if we choose or four weeks notice. Like it's it's extraordinary. And too many people running these companies have been forced to accept that because they don't want to risk losing the business. But this is a time to say, look, actually, I can't afford to have you as a customer if you're going to make me live to that clause because I'm going to go and maybe upweight my production capability or staff to meet your growing demand. You said it before, Lindy, if we're investing in being a better local supplier, you can't then have the ability to suddenly toss me aside uh, should you find a better suitor. So this is a big one to flush out because it's about risk. Um, And certainly if companies are looking at selling themselves at some point, very hard to sell your business if you've got contract clauses where your customers can step away and revenue is lost at the drop of a hat. Do you really think, though, that um, local manufacturers are going to be in this position of strength? I know you said that procurement has lost some of its swagger. We've repeated that a few times in this this podcast. But as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I can just imagine a business feeling, oh, this is just too risky to put my foot down and say this is how I want to have it. Fear is a powerful emotion, isn't it? And what you've just spoken to there is fear. Now, it's, it's going deep. It's going below the gross margin line when you talk fear. But here's the thing. You know, there's a phrase we use, we may not be able to afford to have you as a customer if you behave this way. My point is, to those people you're speaking of, what's the bigger fear? A customer pushing back? Chances are they won't. Or finding that you are left with a large debt because you've borrowed to create more capacity, but you don't have revenue to pay it back, so you will go broke. Like these are moments that need to be stared down and it's called poking the bear a little, but most customers, and this is the joyous thing, are generally reasonable. And when you go to them and say, look, you want more from us, we're happy to do it, but we're gonna need to invest to take out the risk of borrowing to support you, 
I need a fixed contract with fixed volumes so I can be here for you. Now, that's not unreasonable, but it does take courage and it's, it's, it's a moment to implore and, and use and activate that courage to protect your long-term s- sustainability. Well, I guess that goes back to any good relationship as well, communicating what it is that you need in order for this thing to work. So um, were there any other clauses that we need to take care of? Well, we touched on business continuity earlier, so we'll jump over that. But certainly two others, one is the price adjustment formula and one is safety stock. Now, price adjustment formulas are something that suppliers should really focus on as well because their costs, be it energy, uh, be it imports, be it freight, there's a whole raft of things are going to change dramatically and have been more rapidly because of disruption around the globe. So look at that clause. And again, this is a chance to perhaps be a little bit more courageous and say, I need um, more regular price adjustments. It can't be every two years. It may need to be every six months. But again, you know, justify the ask for this based on what's happening in the world. And the other one or the final one, Lindy, is just safety stock. And again, when it comes to, and I'm being literal here, but packaging, um, often FMCG customers want a lot of safety stock or backup supply just for spikes in demand from their retailers. Now, more than ever, there's going to be a spike, not a decrease in safety stock in Australia for Australian FMCG companies because of everything we've spoken about. Where do you store that? If you make it and put it in a warehouse and it stays there for 12 months, is there a take or pay arrangement around that? Is the supplier going to effectively effectively end up being a bank for customers just to make them happy? Or are they going to pass back some of these costs to ensure the supply chain is in order? Again, they're moments of, you know, discussion that do require courage. But back to those golden rules, you have to know your true and total cost to serve. You have a right to supply on your terms. And if you don't, you may risk running out of money at some point in the future. And by starting these discussions, you are teaching the customer how to treat, and should I say more appropriately, respect you and what you're doing to be a partner to them, not just a commodity provider. So it seems to me then that it really does require a day of reckoning for the supplier to sit down with their contracts and take a look at these clauses and, you know, go through them one by one and say, how much is this clause really costing me in my business every year? Absolutely. It's, it, it is that. And it, it's fair to say, for some reason, we're not good at looking at contracts. They're wordy, they're long, they're very boring to read. Um, but gee, within them, there's a lot of gold. And if you are being squeezed as a supplier, the contract is your starting point to get a new set of rules a new baseline for your team to serve and supply from, and that can have a dramatic effect very quickly on your business profitability. So, Paul, it's time to wrap up this discussion um, for today, but I would like you to have the opportunity to impart one final piece of advice to our B2B listeners today. Well, my advice to them is, well, it's a question. How would you feel if you could increase your most important customer's revenue by 5%? and reduce the cost to serve them by 5% as well. So attack both ends of the P&L. What would that mean to your business? If that excites you, then this is the final piece of advice. Take out a contract that relates to your relationship with them, gather your key functional leaders in a room for one day, 
get a whiteboard, coloured pens, great coffee and three calculators, allocate the key clauses in that contract to each of the functional leaders and ask them, are we living to this term or this clause or are we under or over as far, we, as, far as how we serve the client and how they behave? If you highlight the key clauses we've spoken to, ask people if we're living to them, you will suddenly find opportunities for at least 5% more incremental revenue and opportunities for a 5% cost reduction. That is the 5% rule. It's powerful, it's fun, and it can change your life. And if you need help, call me. But I recommend have a go at that. Well, that certainly sounds like sage advice, Paul. And thank you very much for pointing out that 2021 is going to be a good year for suppliers if they take the trouble to pull out their supply agreements. Um, (laughs) And there's relief on the way, certainly. So thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Look out for Paul's column in PKN. It's called The Bottom Line, and it's going to be bringing you some more good advice for ensuring that you can take back your margin and have a profitable 2021 and beyond. Thank you, Paul, for joining us. Well said, Lindy. Thank you. Well, thanks, Lindy. Thanks, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed listening to uh, and learning so much about the topics that suppliers need to consider and who knew you could have fun with contracts. Thanks for joining us for this episode that's been brought to you by Planet Protector Packaging. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.